0: Welcome back to Feed That Nation. We're here for part two of a really awesome episode about managing chronic illness as a young adult. If you've listened to part one, you will have already met my three amazing friends who all have their own chronic illnesses and heard just the beginnings of our stories of our diseases, how we got them, or how we came to be diagnosed with them, and some of our experiences since being diagnosed. I'll just recap, we have my friend Rose, who is a type 1 diabetic, my friend Shauna, who has Meniere's disease, and my friend Annalisa, who has IBS. We'll just go ahead and dive into part two of this awesome episode. Here we go. All right, so we're back for part two of this awesome episode about chronic conditions while being a young adult. Super exciting. So I'm going to have everybody go ahead and introduce themselves one more time, and we'll dive into our
1: next questions. I'm Rose. I am a type one diabetic.
2: I'm Shauna, and I have Meniere's disease. I'm Annalisa and I have irritable bowel syndrome
0: or IBS. Awesome. Well, not awesome. All right. So my first question, and we sort of talked about this in the last episode, but do you, how do you tell people about your condition? Do you like telling them? Do you avoid it? How does that conversation usually go? For me,
3: usually, it depends on how well I know the person. So if it's, like, an acquaintance, unless I have an issue going on at the current moment, I don't tell them. Um, So, because it doesn't really apply to them. But if I'm, like, the other day I was with another student of, um, you know, acquaintance of mine, and I had to run her I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I have IBS. (laughs) Give me a second. (laughs) You know, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Um, But, you know, to other people that genuinely I feel like want to know and learn and care, then I'll kind of dive into the nitty gritty and, you know, talk about that stuff too. But I never like using it as an excuse because I want to kind of be more than kind of my disease, my issue. Um, But I will tell like my professors or something if I'm just like, by the way, I feel bad. I keep leaving to go to the restroom during your class. I'm not like ditching. I'm not bored. I just have to go like right away. And they're like, oh, thank you so much for telling me. And again, you know, in dietetics, they're not going to be like, I don't get it. Like, (laughs) boo. Um, But, yeah, so it's kind of, it depends. Sometimes it's TMI. And so, you know, definitely more willing to share it with women than men a lot
2: of times (laughs) because it's a lot. It, It depends on the scenario. Whenever I was first diagnosed, obviously I told all of my close friends and family members And it's something I try to be very open about, and I have a blog, and I blog about it a lot. But at work, I've told my boss, just, I I tell people who are around me so that if I start to have an episode, they know either A, what's going on, or they also know where I keep my emergency meds, and it'll come up whenever, sometimes it's not, I don't plan on telling them, but then they'll say something, and I'll mention, oh, you know, low sodium, and then they go, why? Why? Well, like I'm okay explaining it to you, but overall it's not something that I just blurt out whenever I first meet someone. I'm the same way. I don't want somebody to think that either I can't do something or it's just an excuse because it's not. And I tend to be the person that even if I'm feeling really bad, I try to push through as much as I can. And I don't just want people to think, oh, well, you just said no because you have Meniere's disease. And then they, they always think that that's yeah. Especially it. for women in the workplace, too. Yeah. It's kind of like they're kind of looking for something. And oh, it's yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> Yes. And so it's just making sure, you know, that the people who need to know at work know. And then otherwise, if I don't think they're going to understand or if I think that they're going to try to use it against me, per se, then
1: I most likely won't say anything. Right. So I have the fortunate and unfortunate thing of like where I can't really hide my type one, really like because I'm like either testing my blood sugar or like pull out my pump to like give insulin. And like so, if you ever really like have a meal with me or like sometimes like I'm like no, I need to like address this now. So I have a lot harder time being like well like I have this but you don't see it, and um and so like that can be hard. So a lot I tend to have to tell a lot of people about it because the best one is so why do you have a mp3 on you and i'm like i don't have an mp3 it is not 2006 um so then i have to explain like what my pump is and then people are like is that, like, type 2 diabetes? And it's like, no. So then I have to, like, have that discussion. And then I have to, like, tell my friends and stuff like that. And professors. So it's like, I go low in the middle of a test. Or, like, I need to be able to eat in class, even though you're, like, no food in class. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that. And then just the little accommodations where it's, it's like, this shouldn't affect your life. But the people are like, oh, no, no. Like, I need to do everything to, like, change my life around you. And I'm like... No, like, this is mine. So I end up having to do a lot of, like, education on, like, what is insulin? What does it do? What's a carbohydrate? How do I count them? What can I eat? What can I not eat? And so in a lot of times I'm like, I feel like at this point, I'm, hi, my name's Rose. I'm a type 1 diabetic. (laughs) Hi, Rose. (laughs) Yeah. And so it can be... End up like having to tell people a lot more often, and it's become part of my identity a lot. And so, okay. it it also has stricken me into like what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. So that also is a big part of it. And so people are like, so what got you into wanting you to go into healthcare policy? And I was like, well, I have to call and tell them I don't want to pay nine hundred dollars for my insulin to live, um <laughs> and like fight for those things. So a lot of times. It, People are like, well, we don't need these things, and it's like, no, 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 I need them. And so you do a lot of education around it, and that can be, right. it can be painful almost. Always having to like repeat yeah. everything, and be that person who's like, I need these accommodations, yeah. and they may be small, and like, I need to eat in class, or I need to be able to take a break and fix my blood sugar, at work. Um, but then you see, you almost feel like you have to like overcompensate for like, not being as good as everybody else and like Mm -hmm. feeling you have to take more breaks or do more things to address it so you're like I have to overwork on it so like that can be hard Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. yeah and I feel like I've noticed this too with people with chronic illnesses or maybe like physical disabilities where you have to explain yourself everywhere you go because people ask questions and there are some like YouTubers especially who talk about their you know, disabilities or diseases for a living. And they're really comfortable with that. But you don't want to be the spokesperson (laughs) for type 1 diabetes all the time. Exactly.
1: And, like, you never want to be, like, and it can be really difficult when you're, like, I just want to have a normal day where I don't need to explain my entire life scenario of, like, how did it happen? When did it happen? Tell me about all the bad things and, like, all the good things. And it's, like, you can be, like, okay ask maybe a couple questions, and then a lot of times it's really nice to the person if you do just some basic research. You can Google a lot of things, and most of us have, like, some form of foundation that is working towards, like, here. Go read the frequently asked questions, and then you can come back and have a conversation. Just don't make, like, the person who has a chronic illness or chronic disease Always be the person who's doing all the educating is like the biggest thing I would wish,
3: yeah, yeah. or yeah. even that like survivor complex, too. Where they're like, Oh, you're a dietitian, you should do an IBS yeah. blog. And I'm like, I would love to, maybe I'll get into that, but it really sucks. Cause I don't want it to completely embody me, like, yeah. Maybe I didn't want to do that, maybe I just wanted to go down a different, different road and you know, but You have so much knowledge on it and your diet. You know, you should because you can teach people more than just, you know, a regular civilian that doesn't know
1: about, you know, nutrition. But you're not required to be a teacher. I'm not.
0: It's not your job. It
1: is not your job. And it does come back to that thing that we talked about in the previous episode where it's like um, I'm always having, like, to say, like, this may work for me, but it may not work for you. So Mm -hmm. then if I'm, like, disseminating all this knowledge... So I was like, well, this didn't work for me, and you recommended it, and you're like...
3: Right. Or the people that have been watching um, more trendy food biographies. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, well, you should just cut up meat and dairy and gluten, and you're like, oh, yep, yeah, yeah. no, that, you know... It doesn't work we'll for me. We'll see, but <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's going to... It's not going to miraculously heal itself. It's not that kind of a thing.
1: My favorite one that I've gotten is, why don't you just try some cinnamon? The cinnamon cures diabetes, oh, yeah. and I'm like, that does not cure my pancreas. <laughs> I promise.
0: (laughs) And I mean, there is something to be said for complementary and alternative medicine. However, CAM should be used (laughs) in conjunction with medicine, especially with people like you and you and you who have like diagnosed illnesses.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like peppermint oil is pretty huge for the IBS community, too. And, you know, to each their own if you want to just treat it based on... Peppermint oil? Sure. But, you know, there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more research, um, you know, from the minimal research that we have um, into what helps. And it's it's pretty
2: broad, but there's something that you can find that will help. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to understand within these conversations, if you're someone who knows a person with a chronic illness, to recognize that they're the one living with it. And so they've probably tried a lot of different ways to approach managing Mm -hmm. it. And it's not it's not your spot to be able to tell them or be the person who's saying, Well, if you just did this because that doesn't make it an end all be all kind of thing. Right. And I know for me, I've had people give me synthetic salt and yeah. I don't need or want fake salt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I don't care. You know, I've gotten used to a low sodium diet and they and they'll do that and I understand the
1: sentiment, but at the same time, Please, don't. Yeah, I no. also really have a hard time. People are like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." It's like I didn't <sighs> die. Yeah. like it's a part of my life, and like, yeah, it can be hard, and I don't always like being. <laughs> but like, sometimes I feel like I'm like, they're like stop talking to you, and they're like talking to your disease, and you're like, "Sorry, you've like lost your tired identity." It's like no, like I don't yeah. need you to feel guilty for me. I'm right. happy and trying to be healthy Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i heard this story by proxy actually from dakota noel who was my guest in episode 3b where we talked about food insecurity but he has cerebral palsy so -hmm. physical disability and he's had people like literally come up to him and like make the sign of the cross and like lay their hands on him and like pray for him so that he can be healed oh my gosh
1: yeah i've had people like well we'll pray for you and i'm like
0: i just need synthetic insulin i'm fine And like the intention like the good intention yeah. is there, but I feel like there's a lot of lack of understanding, especially in that situation. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
2: I think one of the most important things you can do is try to understand and that you do like educate yourself and go and look at it. If somebody tells you, hey, I, I have IBS or I'm a type one diabetic or I have Meniere's disease, Google it. You know, right. don't, don't rely on that person to then just become who you turn all your focus to and then... You're only gonna rely on them because it can be exhausting as well. Yeah. And I know I've kind of I have this like elevator speech, which I also said with air quotes. But <laughs> it's it is it's my elevator speech, and whenever people ask or if that comes up, then I pretty much have the same thing that I recite to everybody. And that's just kind of what you stick with. But
3: yeah, it's really hard too. I still live with my family. And so I have a younger brother who is um, 16, gonna be 17 this um, summer. But my family, since he's the last kid in the family, he's the youngest, they, and he needs to gain weight. And so he lost a lot of weight. He was injured um, from hockey. And I have been noticing that there's kind of a, shift into more caring, not, you know, caring about him more, but the push for him to gain weight. And so the shopping, the grocery shopping revolves more around what he will eat. And so he is a pretty picky eater, um, but they're just trying to get him to have any kind of excess and calories. And, you know, I know what works for me and I'm like, okay, mom, this is what I need. And I would love to go grocery shopping and, you know, get my stuff and his stuff. You know, I should be able to do both, Um, but it's not always um, it doesn't always line up that way. I don't always have that time. Um, so it is really difficult cause they will be like walking on eggshells. And so it is like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So we can't put garlic or onion and no, so no. And, um, or I'll have to just completely make the dinner myself. And I'm just, I don't have time for that. I love cooking. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite hobbies, but, um, and again, she was one of the people at first was like, okay, so, um, Will he be able to eat this or is he going to lose weight? No, it's not that kind of a thing. Um, So it is really difficult because I feel guilty for kind of taking over the diet of the household Um, and it is so complex. And so they're like, okay, but if you want to lose weight, why? Why are you eating white bread? Because I I, it's easier to manage. You know, I can get fiber in other ways and I can even do supplementary. Um, So it is um, that's another part of the guilt is um, taking over. That kind of um, living environment, yeah.
2: especially on holidays. Oh my gosh, oh, where, holidays can where be rough. you have traditional food, right? <laughs> I and I just did my first Christmas yeah. with with Maneers and my mom. I remember at this time she. I think she's had a harder time trying to understand, and she yep. hasn't really t- put the time into understanding Maneers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's denial or just that she doesn't want to. But when when Christmas came around, and I was talking, about, well, I'm flying home for Christmas, and you know what are what are we doing for dinner? Because we normally do ham, and I love ham, but ham is not low no. sodium friendly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so she's like, well, we can just do what we normally do, and you have you have emergency medicine, and it should be fine. And and I remember thinking, I like, you know, I love you, mom, but my emergency medicine isn't meant for me to be able to do and you eat whatever I to want. Sacrifice. I shouldn't, and I shouldn't just do that and like know that I'm going to do it, and then hopefully my emergency medicine will work, and I have to take it because. They're not meds that you want to take often. That's why they're emergency <laughs> meds so that you're not taking them yeah. daily. And uh, that, that's that been hard Where with holiday specifically, where you have traditional meals and like you have this routine, and then now you're the person who is interrupting that. Right. And now you're that's... the reason that it has to change and you feel so bad about it because we've done the same meal for the last 20 years. Yeah. And then... Mm-hmm. That's what Conagilla table salt is in. for.
3: You know what? Right. Low sodium is great for everyone. It really, really it can it's not going to hurt mm-hmm. everyone. No, we get yeah. way too much of it in our diets. And so, you know, again, just, yeah, mom, And that's a I very think. nice uh, table yeah. salt shaker. Let's I use that.
1: completely understand that one because, like, when, luckily when I was diagnosed, my endocrinology team, since I was still juvenile, put, like, my f- entire family through, like, a boot camp of, here's what you need to know, and, like, so you understand, so it's not just your child figuring this out on your own. But it also, like, it changed everybody's diet, and then, the, like, things, like, changed in our refrigerator, and, like, even on holidays, you're like, well, I can have, like, a tiny slice of this pie where everyone else has got, like, a normal slice, or so, like, I can't eat Till I'm super full mm-hmm. because I need to like balance the carbs right. and things like that. And so like that you feel guilty and you shouldn't feel guilty, but you're like, Well, I guess I've changed everybody's life. Right. And yeah, and that can be so difficult to be like, This is fine, especially if you go to like another person's house for those meals. Mm-hmm. Or like, they may not understand, so you're like, maybe I should just bring my own food, and it'll be fine. Or like people are like, oh, you're not eating a lot. Why aren't you eating a lot? Mm-hmm. And Or like, why are you eating like, these peculiar like, combinations? And you're like, this is because this works for me. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're very judged for it, and you're like, yeah. I shouldn't be judged for trying to be healthy for myself. No.
0: I've been dealing, I guess, another aspect of the guilt, especially with PCOS, because that's a reproductive mm-hmm. issue, is... I'm managing it with birth control. That's yeah. a no-no in the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a Which, hot like, topic. There's all these <laughs> stipulations about, like, for medical reasons. So, like, I've been sort of facing that, especially since I just got married. So yeah. now we're getting, oh, you're married. Have you been thinking about kids? And I'm like, well, no, because I'm still working on managing this. First. But do yeah. I really want to share My information about my ovaries and my regular periods with, like, my in-laws, like, these extended cousins who feel entitled to ask me these questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, like, interesting to balance, I guess, all of that and, like, figuring out because, like, I'm happy as pie to talk about my uterus and my (laughs) ovaries and everything else, but it makes other people uncomfortable. And I think, Lisa, you face that, too, because not everyone wants to talk about their poo <laughs> no it's it's basically
3: all poop you know and it's it's lovely to try to explain that and um it's such a taboo topic you know and it's just so awkward and you know luckily I have such a supportive boyfriend we've been together for like ever eight years and so he you know we're those types of people that we just you know he's like oh you should probably just try going to the bathroom you know <laughs> he's, he's so sweet about it you know and he'll encourage you know my health and everything so um, I don't have to worry about it with him or with my family or even his family for that matter. Um, but it is awkward when I feel it like coming on because the pain and the cramps, I haven't um, even talked about this in uh, the first episode, but the cramps that come along with it feel so bad. Um, and obviously I've never felt what contractions feel like, but that's what it kind of feels like. I have to clutch something. It's a lot of pain. Um, very instantaneously and it'll last for a couple seconds and then go away and that's when you feel just this big um, kind of gurgle and it's like oh my gosh it's gonna happen right now and so it's such a weird um, thing and I had that for so long before I even knew I had an issue Um, again I've had that issue where I was um, on the toilet it was really fun Um, I felt like I was gonna die I really did. It, uh, the room was spinning. I was going to pass out. Um, I was actually on diet pills at the time because I wanted to lose weight. And so I didn't, I didn't make the connection between, um, bloating and, um, weight gain. And so I was trying to figure that out. And so that was end of high school. And this was way before I was diagnosed with anything. And so, um, that was hard. And I was, you know, screaming for my mom cause I really did I thought I was going to die. And, um, so that was awkward, having her come in, and um, she's like, you're okay, you're okay, put your head between your knees, you're okay, and then gave me a glass of water. Um, and so that's been really hard, too, because I've felt more, um, I am a little bit more overweight, and I don't mind talking about it because I'm going to have to talk about it the rest of my life, with my career, and talk about it with other people. Um, so it's really hard to then have your own personal body image goals and yeah. personal health goals and oh you should lose weight awesome I know I should lose weight Always. but I need to manage my <laughs> symptoms first and then when I know what I can and can't eat then I can focus on restricting more calories and getting more exercise I also am a student you know give me some slack you know <laughs> Come me some slack um so that's been really hard because you got to focus on so many different things you got to be juggling the mental health the sleep the stress the um you know the weight balance and the diet and it, it's really really difficult um to try to be juggling all that
1: so you imagine something that's a hard thing too with just like chronic illnesses is like having significant others yeah. um because like I'm, no, i don't have any currently, but like when i'm on a date i'm like oh yeah here's like a lot of information about my life yeah mm-hmm. um because it's something i can't like hide it all and like people are usually understanding but people are like oh let me have like a lot of conversation about it and it's like this is really not where i thought my first date was gonna go um
3: yeah i'm always an overshare too yeah always (laughs) been that person that's how i develop relationships with people and i'm like we're in it together man we're in the trenches Mm -hmm. um so that's always awkward too because i'll go and then there's a look on their face and you're like oh I went too far. I crossed that line. And you're like, I don't. Ooh. I can never take this and back. And no backtracking. <laughs> and you're just like, ha. And then all of a sudden, your wit comes out because you have to try to then make it funny so it's not awkward yeah. for the other person. You make them good. It's awkward yeah. for yeah. the other
0: person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was, I've been with my husband, then boyfriend, then fiance, then husband. Yay. Yay. (laughs) But we started dating when I was 17 and I wasn't diagnosed with PCOS till I was 20. And at that point we were starting to think seriously about spending the rest of our lives with each Mm -hmm. other. So it was part of the conversation of like, well, you know, PCOS can potentially affect my fertility. And especially if I'm going to be on birth control as the treatment for it, like Mm -hmm. that's going to affect whether we have kids, how many kids we have, it's going to make everything a lot like more complicated. we actually have
1: kids or adopt kids. And then, or... like,
0: on top of, you know, what every couple has to talk about, which is, like, when do we want kids? Do we want them at all? How many do we have? And it's, like, I think it's helped us to become more mature in those conversations and more open in talking Absolutely. about, like, yeah. you know, I'm having a really bad day right now and everything feels very overwhelming and kids sound like a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're still a college student. But... It's helped us to be a lot more, I guess, thoughtful in that discussion Mm. because we've had to talk about it probably sooner and a lot more seriously than other couples have. Yeah, I think I think, too, um,
2: Natalie, you brought up an excellent point talking about you and Paul having these conversations. I'm not in a relationship right now, but when I think about dating, when I think about the person I'm going to be with, you know, it's a very real conversation you have to have because Meniere's disease is a very progressive disease, and so it's also, also genetic. It can, yeah, it mm-hmm. can be genetic, and so I think about, you know, this person that I'm with. A lot of the peop- a lot of people who get Meniere's disease, it, especially whenever you're diagnosed at such a young age, you're more likely to become bilateral and have both ears affected, mm-hmm. and it just gets worse as you go because even if you're managing it. Like, your balance system doesn't stop getting destroyed, your hearing doesn't Mm -hmm. stop, I mean, it just doesn't magically stop going away, Exactly. and so, you know, you have the potential to become completely deaf, you have the potential to lose your entire balance system, and a lot of people with Meniere's disease end up going on disability, and in the UK, it is a recognized disability, and having to have that conversation with someone, Mm -hmm. you know, and saying, just like, this is, this is how it's going to be, you know, I can't promise that. My my Meneers might never progress. Yeah. It, a, that's a possibility, but on the worst extreme, you're gonna yeah. have to take complete care of me. If it gets to the point to where we have to go the most extreme route, we have to sever that. And like assuming that vestibular therapy would help restore some of that mm-hmm. balance, it's not guaranteed. And having to go through those conversations and that kind of adds you have some to stress. Be so vulnerable yeah and you really then that puts stress on trying to find the right partner yeah who's gonna be able to do that and Mm who can who can be with someone because you have to have the right personality to be with someone who has a chronic illness especially chronic illnesses that just continue to progress that are unpredictable that don't have cures that nobody knows anything about and there's so many unknowns and for some people they can't they can't handle that Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you need somebody who's willing to like have those conversations and Or, like, make those little sacrifices with you. And that's a lot to sometimes ask from people. Mm
2: -hmm. And then you feel guilty again because if you get to that point, you're asking them to give up a certain quality of life because your quality of life keeps deteriorating or keeps changing. And whenever you have a significant other, that affects them. And especially if you start having kids and families, Mm -hmm. that affects them. And... Mm -hmm. It, yeah, it can be really, really stressful thinking about the future, but then you also have to be able to know that for yourself because you have to be able to recognize the person who can go through that with you as well.
1: Okay.
3: Absolutely.
1: And for, like, chronic illnesses, a lot of times they are some form of, like, genetically, so, like, then it's like, well, who may have this after I pass it on? Does it go every generation, every other generation? Mm-hmm. Like, how is this going to affect other people? There's that a guilt of, then, too. Yeah of, yeah, of making somebody else sick. So yeah. yeah,
2: and I don't think anybody ever wishes their chronic illness on no, anyone no. else. And <laughs> no. So you think, oh, you know, you have this beautiful daughter, beautiful son, and then what if you pass it on to them, and it's not something you want somebody else to have to go through. Exactly.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a really great discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, Here's a question, so we've already kind of covered this in a lot of different ways, but what advice do you have for other young adults and college students with your particular illness? For me, find
2: support. When I yeah. when I was first diagnosed, <laughs> I, I got two opinions, and the first um, ENT ear, nose, throat specialist I went to, he gave me these really cheesy pamphlets, which a is not helpful to anybody, but in in one of the pamphlets, it said, find a support group. And I remember at that time thinking, why do you need a support group for this? Like, it's literally an inner ear disorder. And at that time, I didn't recognize how serious it was. And I feel like I'm that kind of person. I'm extremely optimistic. Like, the people are sick by how optimistic I am kind of person. And so I always feel, well, other people have it worse. Other people have it worse. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know what, so what if I have vertigo, dizziness? Like, you know, I I I thought, you don't need a support group for this. And then I have that really bad attack. And then I was constantly dizzy for two weeks. And then you as you have to start having these conversations with your friends and family, and they don't understand or they're not trying to understand. And people around you don't get it. And you just become where you just feel like you're hitting a wall over and over. And so I, I ended up getting to the point after a few months where... I felt like I needed the support and I love Facebook for this and it's the only reason I'm even on like keep getting on Facebook but I found these really amazing support groups and I've been able to at times when nobody else in my life gets it and you just need somebody who gets it I can reach out and say like today sucks and and I don't I don't need you to comfort me I don't need you to console me. I just need you to agree that today sucks, my life sucks, I'm dying, like worst case scenario, (laughs) but they do that because they know that you need it. But then on the other side with support groups of people who have your diagnosis, who to some degree get it, and other times you can say, hey, this is going on in my life, like I have an upcoming wisdom to surgery, and I'm really worried about being under sedation and how that's going to affect my Meniere's disease mm-hmm. and then with the pain that that's going to cause because yeah. the nerves are so sensitive between your jaw and your ear yep. and it's like what if this causes me to have days of attacks and you can get to this, this like group that is exists in these online atmospheres and say hey have any of you done this? What was your experience like? And even though they're not all going to be the same you can start seeing okay good this is good to know this is the possibilities and so mm-hmm. for me that would be mine is finding support groups and people who have that diagnosis that are really going to be able to help you through it.
1: That is something I would completely agree with. Um, So the juvenile diabetes research foundation is like the champion of what we (laughs) in the type one community. And it's also the American diabetes association, but they have so many online forums that like cover so many things. Like there's college ones, which are really nice when you're like, how do you manage getting like certain accommodations and like, how do you figure out food and all these other things where you're just like, I want somebody my own age who's going through it, who's like dealt with it. And like, you can reach out or like, you just have a question like, am I dying? Is this going, I feel like you always like jump, always like I'm dying. There's, there's nothing in between of just like, I'm not feeling good. No, no. no, You're always like, I'm dying. Um, And so um, like, you can just ask those really simple questions but having even, if you can, like your family, if they do understand, just having someone you can call on those days when you're just having a really rough day and you just need you're like, I don't need you to say anything. I just need you to listen. and You don't need to fix it. You just have to hear me complain about how today has been really rough and I don't want to do anything and it's not going my way and I'm crying because it's just been rough. Um, so getting those people is like a big thing and... Knowing when to ask for help is a big one, too, where it's like you don't always have to go it alone, and, like, you feel like you do because you're like, I don't want to burden anybody else with this. But people are there for a reason, and, like, they care about you, so ask for that help. It may feel really crappy sometimes, but asking for help is really good, and sometimes you'll end up with better resources than you thought you would ever have. And answer sometimes if you can.
3: Yeah, I would say um, there was something that was told to all of us at um, Saint Kate's my very freshman year, and this um, the speaker was basically saying to um, claim your education. Yep. And that really stuck with me, and so I kind of flipped that, and you know, it's like, you know what, just claim who you are. Just just claim it. Claim, unfortunately, your disease or what mm-hmm. you have. Um, don't be upset or regret putting yourself first and it's not, people aren't going to be upset by it. you think that they're going to be like, oh my gosh, so offended um, that, you know, you chose to eat at home today or that, you know, you decided not to eat, like you were saying, um, their meal or, you know, not have yeah. too much of it. Cause you are worried about, you know, offending people. Um, so really just you know what, taking time for yourself. I've had to, even in my schoolwork work too, just kind of relax and really just pump the brakes and just go, you know, I can't control everything. It's really hard not to be a perfectionist, especially in uh dietetics field. We're very famous for being kind of type A and perfectionist with everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so it is really, really hard to just go, you know, life happens. I'm going to take time for myself, you know, if I'm having a bad day, the hardest thing for me to do is try to reset it because yeah. I tend to, you know what, it's already a bad day, why don't I just eat the foods that I'm not supposed to have, I'm going to suffer the consequences later, but I'm having cravings for it now, just let it go. See, there's some bowel sounds, I don't know if you heard Oh, the microphone. <laughs> oh yeah, loudest stomach, it is so embarrassing, I had that all the way when I was growing up, people were like, wow, your stomach sounds like a whale, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> so awkward. Um, again, it, you develop these ways of um, adapting. I've adapted, you know, being more witty to just try to play off those awkward times and i've I've ran into a lot of them. yeah, and I can definitely replay and it's it's weird how different times in your life you kind of look back on it and go, oh my gosh, that when I was six, this was probably a predetermining kind of issue yep. yeah um, mm-hmm. like. Totally TMI. Thank you, listeners. Um, (laughs) Totally, like first time I got a belt, couldn't get it off. I had just run the mile in gym class. I was in elementary school, like first or second grade. Couldn't get it off. I remember being in the bathroom with two mean girls, and I was like, I was crying, sobbing. Help me get the belt off. I had to go to the bathroom so bad, so urgently, and I ended up um, soiling myself. It was humiliating, had to be walked up the stairs by a teacher, sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. They ended up telling everybody. Um, But if you think about that now, that urgency, I was six, I was little, six to eight, I don't know. I'm going, wow, so all these different things. Um, The kind of adrenaline rush I'd get from being so nervous for practice, um, because I was always kind of on the fringe athlete, um, I would have to run to the bathroom. So all these different things, I'm going, wow, that awkwardness, but it made me so much stronger because I was able to play off of it and just, yeah, haha you know, don't care about what, you know, that's the hardest thing. Don't care what anybody else thinks. You do. Yeah. You really do. So putting your, just owning it, just owning it. And just, it's really hard to reflect and go, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. But, you know, you can't control it. So putting yourself first. um, You know, it's a learning process. You're going to have to be a lifelong learner. You know, new foods come out every day they get trendier. And, you know, that new acai berry, cool, uh, (laughs) might not affect your body very well. There's so many things that even interact with medications Mm -hmm. that you don't know about. And so um, things can just hit you upside the head. Randomly and you just kind of have to go with the flow. So I've had to completely alter my personality as far as my work ethic and my day to day routine. I love routines. I'm very strict yes. on my routines, even though yes. I show up to class five minutes late every day. Only. But it's every day. It's so every day. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, it is consistent. I've always been that way. It's, it's really difficult. Um, but so yeah, you kinda have to just learn to just accept and go with the flow. It's the hardest thing. And it's not gonna be every day that you accept yourself. See there it is. It
1: <laughs> and it always <laughs> seems to happen on like the most inconvenient times. Yeah. yeah, You're like everything in my life is going crazy right now. Like yeah. it's always like finals or like big tests yeah. and then everything just goes out the window and you're like, Great. Yeah. And then you're like, I have some interesting emails to some professors. Right. And they're like, Why are you emailing from the hospital? I was like cause I'm sitting here and I need something cause it'll make me more worried that I'm missing all my classes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and silly so, like, things like that. But like, even as you were saying, like you say something too much or like something gets really weird. So I'm so, like, I, this is when I get really low blood sugar, I'm brutally honest. And, um, I don't, it, it's kind of one of those like out of body moments where i'm like i feel like i can like look at myself not there yeah. and like i yeah. say something and i'm like why did i say that no, like it shouldn't have come out. Interesting. And then, I've
3: never thought of, that probably happens to a lot of us. Yeah. yeah and that's like, <laughs> probably true. I have those moments where I'm like, don't, you know, why did I say why? that?
1: Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I can't take it back now. And it maybe not <laughs> was not very yeah, nice. Keeps you up at night. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, let me think about this. It's like those weird silent moments. And it's like, yeah. great. Um, yeah. So it's definitely difficult to be like, I have to apologize for my di- my disease because it made me do this. And like, no, right. oh, that's a weird excuse. And you're like, yeah. I promise it's real. It <laughs> and don't believe it's a symptom. And like, no, it, it
2: is. Yep. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I yep. agree. And I love what you said, too, about adapting to where you had to become more witty about it. Yeah. And I think that's really important is just to get to the point where you can kind of laugh about it sometimes. I know within the maniers com- community, there's this... Theory, which I just love, I'm just sticking with it now, but there's this theory that if Van Gogh was alive today, he'd be diagnosed with Meniere's disease because he cut his ear off, he complained about noise in the ear, he complained about deafness. And if you look at his paintings, the little swirls, it could be seen how somebody who was constantly dizzy with no mate to manage that mm-hmm. would have that painting style. And so it's become this running joke with a good friend of mine and within the support groups where. Somebody will say, ah, oh, I'm having, I'm Van going today. I'm just chopping the ear off, you know? And you just kind of have to have those moments where you're like, yeah, like this is the perfect solution. Just chop the ear off. That's obviously going to solve all your yep. problems. Or if you fall because you lose your balance, you're like, oh, man, that floor really just came right up, didn't yeah. it? You know, and just, yeah. just being able to make those little tiny That'd comments and, and be- enjoy at least what you can out yeah. of it and, and have that sense of humor because it's such a weight to live with a chronic illness and everything that comes along with that and everything that you have to do to manage it and manage the medications and your environment and all of these pieces. And sometimes you just have to say, eh, Whatever. It is kind of a double-edged
3: sword, though, too, because that
2: confidence that is relayed
3: from being witty, people think that you're, like, okay, or they'll, like, kind of join <laughs> yeah. in. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, oh, she must be fine and, like, having a good day if she's making fun of it. No, mm-hmm. it, oh, could be a, uh, it could be a say, completely mm-hmm. bad day, but that's a reflex at this point. Yeah.
2: And most likely it's probably a really, really bad day if I'm making <laughs> right. fun of it. I, right. know, I know for me, um, I struggle with insomnia, and the near's just heightens insomnia so it's like insomnia squared Mm
1: -hmm. and when
2: I when I am having my insomnia moments I lose all filters and I mean that's brutally honest filters that's filters that control all the really bad puns I don't say constantly (laughs) like it is all filters that manage things that I probably shouldn't say and and a lot of people will pick up on that whenever I'll say something and they just get this look and I do have to kind of I am so <laughs> sorry. It's like, I did not mean to say that. And I like, I just, I'm sorry, you know, and just leave it at that and try not to say, oh, I'm sorry because my insomnia is acting up because when I lay down, the room was spinning, so I didn't sleep and getting mm-hmm. into it instead just kind of leaving it, I'm sorry, I'm not having a great day and yeah. I'm I'm I th- like
0: good. I think also we sort of laugh because Especially like for me, and I'll tell this story and then I'll hopefully remember what I was talking about. But the sort of way I realized something was wrong with me and ended up getting diagnosed with PCOS was I was driving... Back to the summer internship I was working with, I was probably like 30 minutes out, stopped to get gas, stopped to get a snack. At McDonald's, I'm sitting outside, you know, eating my little cinnamon nugget things. <laughs> I don't know what they're called, but they're really good. Everyone knows what they are. And then all of a sudden, I was completely doubled over, 10 of 10, pain. The Like, my head was spinning, my ears were buzzing, my vision was graying. I thought I was going to pass out. I thought I was dying. Like, I didn't know what was wrong with me. She also sent a text message to me asking if this was normal. <laughs>
1: I always
0: I always do that. I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. And about twenty minutes of that, and I will just side note here that no one at the McDonalds seemed to notice that I was dying. Oh my god. Thanks, McDonald's. But twenty minutes passed and the pain subsided enough that I was able to drive myself about a mile down the road to the ER. Would not recommend driving for the record. That's not a safe thing to do when you're like that. But then that was probably one of the scariest moments of my life and now when I tell the story I can joke about it and laugh about how ridiculous it was that I almost died in a McDonald's and I think part of that is because it was scary Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it feels good to be able to laugh about it.
2: It does, and I I agree. In the last episode, when I was discussing me almost dying in Natalie's dorm room apartment, you know, at the time I, and I'm I'm starting to think that maybe if you haven't had a moment where you thought you were dying, <laughs> you should. Yeah. You, well, all of us here said, yeah, we thought we were dying. It's and always the
1: extreme that we're it like, is, it's like. It is. never like I'm it not just uh, no. And,
2: and you feel like that, and at the time, you know, I especially because of how I felt, it was terrifying. I've. I have never felt so bad in my life. I've never been more terrified in my life and my entire family is in Texas and like Natalie was my support system and she did great and now you know looking back like I can laugh about it and I can and Natalie and I can joke about it and you know we say, oh like Sean almost died in Natalie's apartment and it's followed <laughs> by laughing but that day it was it was absolutely terrifying you know so. so I, I agree with it. Natalie 100% that those days, you know, now we can look back and kind of yeah. like ha about it. Too many stories hard. like that. Yeah,
1: well, like, so I am an t- um, out-of-state student, and so I've had quite a few bad experiences being, like, not feeling well and having to go to the hospital and you're like and I don't have a car so it's like okay which friend do I want to take to the hospital with me and my best friend jokes we'll snuff on someone here um, because she's like I've never actually taken you to the hospital and I was like can we keep it that way Um <laughs> everybody else has and I was like we're gonna keep That's it that first way first level friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not three. and they're like but I'm your best friend I'm like we're gonna keep it that way I don't want to go to the hospital yeah. Um but sometimes like having to create that support system from people who are, like, more friends, but acquaintances. And you're like, all right, well, you're going to get real up and close and personal with me because um, we're going to go to the hospital, and I hope you don't abandon me there. Um, so, like, that insecurity of two. But being honest a can be really rough for that, too, because you're navigating all these things where, like, mom and dad sometimes is really nice. They're like, hi, I'm having a really bad day. Can I come home for the like the afternoon and just be there? but it, um, I've had a couple interesting changes, uh, but, like, laughing it off definitely happens a lot more, and I end up being a lot more witty about it, but I luckily do have a group of friends who, um, will joke along with me knowing that I'm having a bad day, and I'm like, yeah, my budget is just really high today, and my friend Marie will go, well, have you ever thought about just removing your pancreas? And I'm like, all the time, and just, we walk through, and people are like, what is going on? Yeah. And they get so concerned. And I'm like, no, like, this is trying to make me feel better and be, like, happy. Yeah, cause um, the
3: worst is when, like, they're stone-faced. Or there's, oh, like, yeah. people that you don't know very well that have heard it a couple times. And they just, like, they're just not responding to that. Yeah. And you're like, okay, sorry. Like, super awkward, you know.
1: Sometimes so, you want them to joke along with you yeah, just a little bit. To just make it like,
3: more comfortable. Just a little yeah. little bit, or even just acknowledge, just, like, nod, smile. Kinda. Yeah especially mm-hmm. on a bad
1: day yeah yeah and i think the hard thing is when we do as like and i'm saying like, we're having a bad day and we sound super self-deprecating and we're not trying right. to be we're just trying to express it so right. people are always like oh you shouldn't be so rough on yourself and you're yeah. like, my life is falling apart i feel awful everything's wrong right. and uh they're like i'm just a terrible person and don't take that as, like, we're really bad about our, like, bad and sad about our life. It's just like we're having a bad day, and right. it can be hard to express that to someone who doesn't understand that I feel like a dump truck ran me over and dragged me for four blocks, yeah. and I'm in class right now taking a test.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's very true, and there was even a discussion in um, right before one of our classes started, and we were all talking about how... Um, some of us don't even own sweatpants anymore. And I am not one of those people. I love sweatpants. And so that's just one of those things. And I really hate jeans. Jeans are for when I'm feeling good. I have a good day. And so that's been really hard too, because people are like, why do you always wear sweatpants? And you know, they're like, wow, she's so sporty. And no, I just can't do pants right now in the morning. Mm -hmm. And yeah, see, and the stomach's going, that's so funny. There we go. It's <laughs> <to> ASMR
1: people.
3: <laughs> <laughs> taking a turn. <laughs> but uh, see, there you go. There's the wit. Um, but yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So yeah, I do have a lot of sweatpants. A lot of a lot of yoga pants, and it's just really really hard because you want to do stuff for yourself that yeah. respect yourself. I love getting um, dressed up. It's just a little nice thing you can do for yourself. Put on a pair of jeans. You know, maybe do something with your hair, put on a little bit of makeup. Um, and so it is really hard to get out of that um, kind of depressive cycle yeah, that, that you're right. in. It's, I'm in a bad, and honestly, it's like sweats go on. And I, that's another thing with um, a significant others. And he like <laughs> hates sweats, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, the sweats are coming on. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It just makes me more comfortable. I'm sitting and doing, homework and, you know, I don't want it, you know, the waistband
1: digging into my
3: stomach. It's going to make me bloat even more. It's like,
1: do you want me to unbutton my pants or wear <laughs> sweatpants? Like what choice are you going right, to take in this it situation? it is really,
3: really hard and he's very understanding of it. um But that, it really, it does affect my own um, self-image a lot yeah. of times because then I'll just get into this, like, I don't self-care as much mm-hmm. because I'm just like, uh, whatever, you know. So it is, it is really hard. There's so many different factors. hmm
1: but you, yeah. All right, go ahead. Ask for help. Ask Absolutely. just talk to people. Sometimes this can be real awkward, but like honestly, try talking to people, and you might find out they know a lot of people with the similar things, so they've like understood it a little bit more. And then you like network. It's like a little secret club sometimes. Yeah. It's not like a fun secret club. You're like, <laughs> so can you type one two. So what's your pomp? What's your, your regimen? And you're like, yeah. tell me more. And it's really nice sometimes, like having those people you can just like. So everything's wrong. <laughs> Helping. <Shelby. laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so.
0: Any other final thoughts to wrap up? I don't think so. I've no. no. covered a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Melissa's so great. Thank you guys for coming. Mm-hmm. So Thank you, you for years. having for having me. We genuinely had such a good time recording this podcast. We did not stop talking at all. It was so hard to figure out what I wanted to include and what not to include, how to divide the episode into two parts so it wasn't a million hours long. And even after we turned the recorders off, we kept talking for at least another hour, sharing experiences and laughing so much. A huge, huge thank you to Rose, Shauna, and Annalisa for giving me their time and giving me their experiences and their knowledge and their wisdom for this awesome podcast episode. If you like what you heard, please be sure to give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes or whatever your preferred listening platform is. Go ahead and recommend me to all of your friends. Follow me on Instagram. Give me a shout out there if you like. I'm at FeedThatNation and check out my blog at FeedThatNation.com. We'll be updating every Monday, so come back next Monday for another awesome episode. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, and you've been listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.